Hey everybody, it's Drew from Sleep With Me, and I'm believe it or not, I'm live here uh, from Golden Gate Park, recorded live, uh, and I've got a little announcement. We're teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you two exclusive episodes. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlist clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. Each playlist has its own topic or theme. You could try out the Music Decoded playlist with clips all about unpacking and analyzing music, uh, or Slice of Life, which is all about the crazy or incredible things that happen to everyday people. Also, Spoke has fun, exclusive content from Farrell. And that's why I'm here live at Golden Gate Park. I just concluded uh, recording one of these episodes that's only going to be available exclusively on Spoke. I'm lying here in the grass. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Sleep With Me's exclusive Spoke episodes. You can find them all at Spoke.com slash sleep with me that's spoke.com slash sleep with me check it out uh and i'll see you in golden gate park at stowe lake bye guys i want to tell you about a great sponsor i have bompus they're premium high performance athletic socks and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off and because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters for every pair of socks purchased bompus donates one pair of those to those in need almost one million pairs donated to date 15 percent off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. hurts a little bit right now. Not sure why. I think it's okay. Don't worry. Just focus on the show. Focus on listening to my show. Don't don't listen to this show and go, why is Matt Dwyer's tooth hurting? It's going to ruin your experience. Uh, if you haven't listened to my show before, it is just what the title implies there. It's a conversation with me, Matt Dwyer. I tend to talk to uh, some pretty fascinating people, Black Panthers. Uh, actually, in next week, I'm interviewing uh, Mark Rudd, who is one of the founding members of the Weather Underground. If you're unfamiliar with what that is, Google it. They were a pretty radical 60s uh, group protesting the Vietnam War. They went to some great extremes. To such extremes, they had to go underground f and hide for like years and change their names and work in diners or whatever instead of their chosen. It's And uh, I, I have Thomas Drake I'm going to be interviewing, who is a uh, whistleblower with his lawyer, also a whistleblower, Jesselyn Raddick. About we'll talk about some of that, all the whistleblowing that's going on. Uh, so I have some really interesting guests lined up. It's going to be pretty awesome. Today's guest uh, is comedian John Roy. I rarely talk to comedians about comedy, but uh, John Roy is, uh, I would say, one of the technically just like he's a craftsman beyond belief. But we also talk about a lot of other things. Uh, he has a podcast that's astounding. Uh, it's also on Feral Audio. Uh, it's called Don't Ever Change. It's uh, He interviews uh, people about high school and their experience and 
my high school experience, pretty fucking terrible. But before we get into that, I just want to say, go to my, if you can, do me a favor, go to my Feral Audio page. And if you can, donate some money. I don't like asking for money. Uh, I don't even use coupons because I'm a uh, f- uh, fucking weirdo. But uh, we work really hard, I st- and we st- here at Feral sacrifice a great deal so we could bring you all of our shows. So we need h- help. You could make coffee at home this week and not go to Starbucks and s- and send me two dollars, or you could go to my Amazon page on a link and buy some stuff on Amazon. Go buy yourself like a espresso maker and a dildo. I don't know if does Amazon sell dildos. Doesn't matter. Buy the dildo, mail it to somebody you don't like, and tell them to fuck themselves. But I get a kickback of that money, and that's pretty groovy. It's pretty groovy. It's pretty groovy. And that helps us out. Also, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer. At, uh, Twitter. Anyway, uh, also, oh, r- write a review for my show, please. If you like my show, write a review on the iTunes. That helps me out. That helps me out a lot. And, uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, we're going to listen to uh, me talk with um, John Murray. So enjoy And I, I should have told you this, but uh, we'll do it recorded. I do the intro and stuff later, so we don't have a formal... Yeah, I know. That's how people do it. <laughs> you're, w- you're wise to the world. I'm aware of that, that uh, we're not, we don't have to real-time the bumpers. And, uh, yeah, I did. this is my least favorite part of the show, because it's like that <laughs> weird, like, What's that uh, foreplay? Louis uh, C.K. <laughs> thing where he goes, there's no good way to start a show. There's not, I'm, I'm not supposed to be up here. Like, he basically just says there's no naturalistic way to begin performing. <laughs> you know, like, That's the, the, the most dreaded part. Like, I fucking hate walking out on stage, because then you see those assholes who, like, dance out there. <laughs> well, yeah, and also, like, bands... Comedy, unless you are Louie or Chris Rock or somebody who is a theater full of people waiting to see you, comedy, don't, you don't get that thing of like in a, in a concert where when the people finally show themselves and are lit up and it's Jeff Tweedy or, and then everyone goes, <laughs> ah, it's him. Like, there's none of that. Like, a, a musician doesn't have to have that awkward moment because simply presenting themselves to the crowd is already entertaining to them. Like, it's the guy that we can't, yeah. it's not the drum tech, you know, like. You can even probably be that guy in half-ass it. Like, I saw Rodriguez, who was too old to be on stage, but people were just like, yeah, and I'm just like. <laughs> right. But well, it was, it was, if, <laughs> if you once were popular, you're always popular with some people. You know, you can ride that one hit out for, as long as you're not <laughs> asking to play Giant Stadium, like, you know, what. I bet you fucking <coughs> Sugar Raid can fill a 3,000-seater. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I mean, if you had real national success, even just momentarily, like, I, want, I mean, I bet Stephen Wright still draws 1,200. I, I mean, I opened for him in the, in the Vic 10 years ago. I'm sure he could probably still fill that place. I think he still does places like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so those guys don't have to worry about how to start the show. The story started. They walked on stage. I can, I can fill a 10-seater. Yeah. <laughs> in my hometown. <laughs> I don't even want to know what that number really is. I'm sure it's embarrassing for all of us, you know, like what you can, who you really could draw. Well, it's like even like when I've opened for some great people, it's like those rooms are so padded in clubs. Like they just pad the shit out of them. Did you feel that with Keckner when you went out with Keckner that they were padding them? They were free tickets? 
they, they did a lot of free tickets for they just because they don't give a fuck. They just want people drinking booze. And I guess guy from that movie still isn't good enough of a credit for to and, count on the whole thing being sold out. When we first started going out, it was a little bit like that. And then towards like I mean, we did Chicago last year, and it was like we jammed like. The Laugh Factory was like it was like rock star crazy. I opened for Jonathan Witherspoon once in a long time ago in Milwaukee, and uh, he's the guy. He's an old black dude. He was in uh, Boomerang, but he's basically famous for going. You got a you got a whipped head pussy. Bang bang bang! Like that's his fucking thing. And then also he goes coordinate. Like he had a, I got a mushroom belt. It's like he, he's a lot of show stealing lines as Eddie Murphy's dad in Boomerang, and that's. Far and away what he's best known for, even though he's done a million guest stars. But he would come on stage in the suit from Boomerang, show the mushroom shit on the inside, show the belt, and then go on the mic and go, bang, 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 bang. And then, like, because he gave them that, they would allow him to do the stand-up act that he came to How do. was the rest of his act? I remember it being funny, but not being anything I needed the CD of. <laughs> If that makes sense, you know, like I, I was happy to be there. I wasn't angry. I was chuckling and I thought it was fun that I was watching him, but I wasn't like, oh my God, move over Richard Pryor. <laughs> you know, well, like, there's, there's part of me that's like, if I was that guy, but I think there's certain people who are just like, I can do that and they don't give a fuck. Like if I was like going out there and being like, bang, 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 whip the, and then I'd go home and probably just be in a deep depression. Just eat a, eat a gun because you fucking, <laughs> uh, you did it. I don't know, man. Uh, Part of you has to go, that's what they're here for. They love me because of the thing they saw. You know what I mean? Like, why else should they be there? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's, it's funny, like, if you're somebody like David Cross and you have a resume a billion miles long, you don't know why they're there. Maybe they're there for Mr. Show. Maybe they're for Arrested Development. Maybe they're there for your actual stand-up. Who the hell knows? But if you're the guy from only the chipmunks, you got to give them a little chipmunks. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, that's why they're there. Like, come on. You can hate them because they liked it. They liked it. Now they're in the seats. Give them a little bit. Yeah. I wanna... I mean, are you ever too good for something you did? Yeah, I guess it's like it's like Nirvana not playing Teen Spirit. You you got to play Teen Spirit. Right. I mean, Pearl Jam still plays Alive or Evenflow, one or the other. They do a lot of new stuff and a lot of weird, you know, they'll do a ton of weird shit just for Eddie, but <laughs> they still got to fucking do Evenflow and fucking Porsche. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's why did I pay 40 bucks? Yeah, they were never, they were always fans more than like rock and roll dickheads is how I viewed yeah, Pearl Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think they were like, where Nirvana was always just like, eh, we're too cool, or whatever. I don't Did know. Did they what not it. play Teen Spirit? Did Nirvana they, really not do that? I feel like they tried to knock it off for a while. Or there was oh, some band in that you. era who would. Because here's the other thing that's not like asking Sting to play Roxanne. Nirvana only lasted three more years after that song came out. <laughs> so you're not asking them, oh, and we don't play. It's not like Radiohead doesn't want to play Creep. They were like nine albums later. Like you're asking them to play something from the other one. <laughs> Yeah, you know, or like unless you can, like, you know, like unless you're like one of the people that had bleach. If you're just the average American, you're not asking them for some deep cut. You just want the hit from last album. <laughs> <laughs> like that's all you're asking for. Yeah, uh, the '90s were assholeish. But yeah. in like a way of trying to be reverse asshole-ish. Like the bands thought that they weren't Motley Crue, so that means they had to be this other kind of dick. Like we're not gonna like we're not gonna like ask for pussy and booze, but instead we'll just be like, You think you can like us? You're not cool, fuck off. Like, you know, you're probably one of those jocks we didn't like because they didn't like us. It's like this weird perpetuation of their 
high school thing onto the national stage. Yeah. Like, what's that whole Nirvana song, Come As You Are? He's the one who likes all our pretty songs, buddy. You know, and it's all about that fucking dickhead with a baseball cap. What are you doing here, you know? That's the other thing. Eddie Vedder wore baseball caps, so maybe that's why they didn't like him. Oh, yeah, that was it. Well, they, they had just, the big riff. Cause they, 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 well, yeah, because Kurt didn't like... But then they like they slow danced together or something at the MTV. I don't know. I don't know why. Did. I'm so 39. <laughs> like, why do I still care what the final resolution oh, uh, uh, of the Kurt Cobain-Eddie Vedder feud was? I was looking at Pearl Jam on uh, playing Wrigley Field pictures. The I other- watched videos of Pearl Jam <laughs> playing Wrigley Field. I saw a movie... About Pearl Jam's uh, life and times. Oh, I watched that too. You see, see I, that's, Pearl Jam is one because uh, when people would flip through when I had a CD rack, which you don't nobody has anymore. Yeah, people would get to my Pearl Jam. And they'd always be like, "Really? Yeah, fuck off." Pearl Jam's a great band. You know, what I mean, come on. What do you want? Give me, give me, give me the cooler. Give me the the acceptable band then. Like, if those guys aren't cool enough, then what do you need? They fucking made, they had a giant hit, then they decided to try not to be that band. They successfully tried to fight Ticketmaster. Maybe you don't like their songs, that's fine, but you can't be like, oh, like they're the fucking, you know, like you have CNC Music Factory or you know what I mean? Like, I think that's a band you can not like, but you can't Dave Matthews snob them, you know? Uh, No, I agree. Uh, There's so much integrity behind them. It's like yeah. they would, they would, they one they did that awful cover of a '50s song or '60s, like where yeah. as their Christmas single. They didn't even put it out, and then it became a number two. But hit. they gave all that money to uh, Balkan rape victims, right? Personally, they went to the Balkans and handed you think out animal the- collectives, <laughs> giving a fucking cent to anybody. <laughs> Maybe they have. I don't know. I know nothing about them except that they sound to me like Paul McCartney simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Like that song to me has every element that would become animal collective in it. <laughs> <laughs> weird, I, I, weird keyboard patches, silly melody. You can't really hear the drums. They're like bands. Those would be bands I would steal on the internet, and then like the, because I felt like I should have it, but I, I never listened to I it. Was, I would listen. I would end up liking like. I would steal a bunch of it because Pitchfork said it was a thing, and then I would like like two of. The, and I think I have two Animal Collective MP3s still. On the iPod, and I had cleansed all the rest of it. You know, like I, I like I, you um, said cleanse because it gives the image that you might have destroyed, like <laughs> slaughtered. I slaughtered their songs. <laughs> it was a massive. There's a mass grave of MP3s in my hard drive. <laughs> my <laughs> trash. Uh, hi, hello. <laughs> I w- I wanted to get to talking about because stand- we want to. I mean, I've th- th- I love that. But we're thirty nine like- year old white men. Of course, we <laughs> talked about rock and roll. What else were we going to do? It's it's instinctive. Yeah, I, I feel like it, that when I well, I'm forty four. So you you you're, oh, you're, I always thought you were my age. Because uh, I'm immature. I'm a, oh, I thought I'm you and Matt. Well, Matt and Bronger, our mutual friend, uh, is exactly my age. So I thought that you were his. We're. I'm just emotionally kind of okay. stunted. Okay. A, a very stunted. So stand up. <laughs> well, I could keep talking about drugs. about your stunted uh, emotional, uh, or you are, or about the Seattle or my, scene. Well, both. <laughs> I, they went hand in hand. You know, uh, yeah. If you know how to, I just want to point everyone out that I I was having trouble with a twist off. But, trouble with a twist off. But uh, when did like, what was what was that made you want to be like, hey, I want to be a do comedy because that's a, oh, to me that's a, like I, I mean I think know. it's a weird thing that I even chose to. I was funny uh, when I was in you know late junior high and uh, you know you 
you get picked on, you're not that big. You make fun of the guy, then he doesn't hit you. And so then you go, oh, okay. And then, you know, you know, you, you really keep doing it. Then you, you, you got a, an act when you're about 12 or 13. You got a bit of an act. Mine was uh, uh, Barney from the Fruity Pebbles commercial. Could do him. I could do about five Phil Hartman voices and a couple Mike Myers. And then I had about 20 street jokes. Like that was the act, you know, when I was 14 and imitating the camp counselors and uh, a little bit of Wayne's World. <laughs> then, then, you know, uh, I was in college, tried to be a rock star, had a bunch of bands, played bass, played guitar. What years was the bands in? Well, the first band, well, I had one in high school, but that doesn't count. And then I had uh, another one. So you, that was like 90s, though. Yeah, right? well, I went from high school from 88 to 92, went from to college from 93 to 98. And all the bands mostly took place in, in those years. That's prime so, grunge era. Uh, it was, but we didn't sound like that. I was a hippie. Uh, we sounded like uh, some mix of fish and awful you know, I don't know, however you... No, it was like a mix of fish and U2 and spiritualized. We had all these people in the band that liked different shit. They only just shared a common love of pot. So, like, <laughs> at, sometimes our band would sound like fish. At other times, our band would sound like the Spaceman 3 or spiritualized. And other times, it would sound like, like fucking, you know, whatever was going through the guitarist's head that day. Whether it was Godspeed, you Black Emperor, or what, whatever he thought was going to really take us out there, man. Uh, and, and then uh, that's unfair. Mike didn't talk like that. He just thought like that. Um, he was actually a brilliant guitar player, but we just weren't too many people thinking different things. And overall, we weren't good singers and we were so pretentious. Like, we wouldn't just play songs to make people happy. We'd have to, like, then we're going to do a 20 minute Bowie cover that was only on a B side. You know, like, like why did we? Th and then we'd have all our originals. Some of them were like disco funk songs, and other ones were like weird composed compositions like i don't know I, it was easy to see why we didn't make it but i remember i, I was starting to do stand-up at the same time in improv I, I did second city right out of college i didn't know what i was doing i got involved in taking improv classes and our friend mick betancourt and i were taking a level through you know eventually through all the way to the end of conservatory and thousands was upon doing, thousands yeah, of thousands of dollars <laughs> and then the most i don't know if you went through did you go through the classes or you didn't have to i did but when i started I started so young at Second City classes that there was only level one through five. Well, I got jumped. I'm one of the last people, I think. Me and Andy St. Clair got jumped from A through E into one through five. We only had to take A and they B, and then they were like, jump get, get out of here. But I don't think they let them do that anymore because they really like money. So, uh, but I'll tell you, my favorite moment. Wait a minute, and in, the industry will put money before art, and they, I've heard that. But I, I did, <laughs> I did see this. This was my favorite. In case you wondered what you were worth over there, we got to the end of all of it, which is probably a two thousand dollar check. Even if you're, you know what I mean. If you think of all of the levels, like well, I had to do one, one B, and then two through five, whatever the hell it was, plus A and E. I think I probably gave him two grand, maybe fifteen hundred, but a lot of money. Especially, you know, for a, and this is twenty ish years, ish ago. fifteen, and and, it's, and also me being a waiter at Navy Pier. You know, it's not like I had all this money that I was just throwing around. So at the end of all that, we get this uh, Marty DeMott, who was the guy over there, gives us this, uh, we got like three pizzas, you know, shitty to kind of two, you know, like three uh, Chicago's pizza. You're like not, you're not even like the Lou Malnati's. Like, you know, just some fucking thing they got a menu for in the drawer. And then uh, like two pitchers of beer. For a class of like fifteen, you know, like two pitchers of Miller Lite and some pizzas, like one pepperoni, one cheese, like just the lowest that you can do, like kids' birthday shit after a baseball game, and uh, and so 
as we're eating our bullshit pizza, Marty Dumont comes in. He gives a speech. He's not alive anymore. I feel a little bad talking shit about him, but not that bad. So he comes. He still did this. Uh, he goes, guys, um, wherever you go in theater and comedy, wherever you go, whatever happens to you after this moment, this will always be your home. And Second City will always be your family. And then they hand out these red T-shirts that's the same fucking design, I swear to God, since Shelly Berman, you know, was there. And that looked terrible. There's nothing fashionable about these shirts at all. We're not going to wear them. And uh, we're eating this pizza. Then he leaves, and he comes back. I swear to God, you could ask Betancourt. He was there. 35 minutes later, it comes back and goes, guys, we need the space, so if you want to wrap it up, we got another. I'm like, oh, you need our home? Bro, you mean our family needs our home? It was just the the immediate like oh oh you thought this meant something oh, oh no oh no I uh, yeah you can't it's dangerous to shit talk Marty Demont because he's such an icon around there but that guy was I just a, did it <laughs> but he was but, yeah, but like he was such a bullshit artist of like love funny well, the, yeah it was this fucking speech Bob Weir probably made to the band he quit before he joined the dead <laughs> you know like it, it just sounded like this hippie fucking bullshit that and we're in the naked naked uh value like showing our value like it was blatant how much they didn't care we're eating how much they don't care you know what i mean we've just given you two thousand dollars and we got two shitty pizzas and some beer I, w- I wouldn't buy in college and and now it's like we're home our family and now we gotta leave so what you can put the next class full of morons like, you don't know there's a guy behind the wizard curtain? You know, like, it's just, I don't know, man. It really, it, and since then, you know, I've been back. I've got to play on the main stage. I'm grateful for it. I, I like a lot of people. They put produce a lot of talented people there, but I really felt like uh, there's a lot of grifting going on there, too. <laughs> you know, just a lot of a lot of taking people's money. I, I it, you know, I went through the whole thing. I, well, you ended up actually working for them. But, and you know what? I regret I was think pondering my regretting for that. That's what that beat was. But I was like, I, I kind of wish I would have like just focused. I wish I would have never done it. And I wish I would have focused on stand up. I don't agree with that. I'm glad I did it. I think I it's mean, helped like, me as a stand up. Oh, I don't mean. Oh, the you classes. mean going through the whole I, thing and trying to be that? Yeah, I regret because I never really fit in there, and I think. But I, that's w- interesting to me to say that you never fit in there when you were. You worked there, like you. Oh, so know, few people get put on even etc. That I mean, I mean, you might have felt that way, but clearly you did fit in there. Or why would they have hired you? Uh, I had photos of people of Ale- Alexander <laughs> doing things. No, I just uh, like Kelly. But I feel like I, I don't know. I was able to uh, work that, like do it. But I always felt like what I wanted to do was never fit in. Like, my approach was you different. You felt like, yeah, I get it. And anytime I did, like, outros for the shows and stuff, which was basically like doing a stand-up set at the mm-hmm. end of every show, that's what I was like, oh, this feels more... Well, I, I started doing stand-up around the same time I was doing improv. And Mickey told me to go out and try this open mic. He's like, your band blows. You're funnier than you are good at music. <laughs> Why don't you try this? In a nicer way, but I knew what he meant. And I also, I knew it was true because, like, we used to get really high in practice, and so we thought we were geniuses because, you know, <laughs> like, marijuana enhances music, so you think. And I remember the first practice where I was like, guys, we got to get serious. You know, no more fucking getting high. We're going to fucking, you know, buckle down. First practice without the pot, I'm like, oh, we're bad. We're really bad. 
I, I was just fooling myself. And then also that same year, I remember going home to our rhythm guy's place, and we're sitting around, and he threw in Radiohead, The Benz. And by track five, I was like, well, if that's what I'm expected to be able to do to make music for a living, I mean, if that's the standard, then forget it. There's no way. Like, I can't, I can't write that. There's no way I'll write a song like like the Benz or High and Dry. It's just not gonna happen. Like, and by the time I heard Bones, I'm like, well, fuck it, I'm I'm out. <clears throat> so I quit the band probably six months later. Like the, that Radiohead album was just like, dude, you probably when you hear Carlin, you also feel outclassed, but you know you could hit way closer to that mark than you can hit to this mark. Like, so I, I quit music and I, I and I never had some moment where like I'm gonna be a stand up. It's just the open mics kept being okay and i kept doing them until somebody started paying me to do it and then pretty soon i was a stand-up i mean i always knew i wanted to be creative and i always liked being funny and performing but i never had some moment where i was like yes see that's weird because to me like and i think a lot of our group of like the thing mike bridenstine wrote about you on one of his posts about when you were doing a stand-up class and he wrote this oh yeah and i was like yeah to me you were like you were always the craftsman. Like, well, I, I always loved stand-up. When I was a kid, my f- parents would buy like old comedy albums. I had heard like every great stand-up record by the time I was like 15 that existed at that time. Like, I always loved it, and I always took it seriously, but I never was like 14 with dreams of being Kevin Meany in my head. <laughs> you know, like... I, I just stumbled into it as I just like everybody else. Kevin Meany. Well, I just, that would be a guy that, that I no, could have love seen. Kevin <laughs> but like, also, it's like you watch some of Kevin Meany's, the Scholar Brothers were like at some show and they were talking about. <laughs> I love all the guys that would mention Kevin Meany would be those. Well, they guys. were like talking about like his one set, I think it was on Letterman where it's just like he starts singing like the alphabet. It's like this weird, crazy bit. And it's like, and they, they were like. This guy was doing like weird alternative stuff in the eighties. Oh, there's more weird shit back then than we've had. like. Have you noticed how not alternative alternative comedy is? Oh yeah, like I, it, it is an alternative to comedy clubs. That is the truth. It's an alternative to real hacky dumb shit. But it's not that weird. <laughs> you know, you don't really. See, when's the last time you went to an alt show in Los Angeles or New York or Chicago and were like, "This is the weirdest shit I've ever seen." I haven't seen, yeah, and that's that's a valid, because it's like... Is anyone weirder than Steve Martin or Andy Kaufman was in Los Angeles right now? I just watched a clip of Andy Kaufman do, on Letterman when Letterman had his morning show, which I almost forgot. Remember when he had a morning show? I don't remember. I remember hearing in documentaries about Letterman that he had a morning show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, do I remember being nine and waking up to see David Letterman? Well, I was uh, 11, no. so I remember it. <laughs> I love how our age difference has been shrunk to two years now, when before you just told hey, me this it was This is six. Hollywood. I got to keep it young. <laughs> but I love it was- how much younger you got in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> So you're as an elder statesman of comedy, and I'm still trying to learn. Well, you better, because right now I think we're, you know, I'm going to call Kendler and get your statesmanship revoked. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like, and I look, I love alternative comedy, but when I started getting into that and moving away from the club, I still do the clubs in town, but like I would, I take all bookings more than any non-paying club you know what i mean like i would rather work an alt room now in in la or new york or chicago than work the clubs i have to work the clubs because they pay me but but when i started going to doing more alt rooms i really thought that i was gonna see this insane envelope pushing comedy and i i i can tell you the two sets like paul rust 
has made me go, fuck, all right, that's weird, that's out there. But I haven't seen Paul Rust do a set on a stand-up show since 2007. You know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah. I would like, I would, and then I can't do it. I'm a pretty standard comedian. Like, yeah, like, but I think, like, Vaderot, I guess, is doing weird Vaderot. shit. I don't know who that Nick is. Nick Vaderot from Chicago. Uh, he's doing really oh, out there. He like a, he's like a short little dude. He's TJ Miller's opener. He's done Conan and I think I've seen him. Fallon. Yeah. Very funny guy. But what I'm saying is there's few and far between. Brady Novak will do some weird stuff. But I just feel like... The average alternative comic is pretty much just a comic, and that's cool. It's fine, but I part of me wanted, part of me imagined when I was, you know, in front of some hack in the Midwest that there was this magical land where people were doing this insane out there comedy. And when I saw it, I'd feel just outclassed because I could never think so outside the box. And I've seen like four or five sets like that in my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just don't think it really exists. But I feel like. He, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, Brett Gellman? I haven't seen Gellman do anything in a long time. Uh, I guess I, I will pay it. I'll see John think- Daly do weird stuff, but a lot of times he's just fucking around. Like, you, you know, you get a catchphrase and a hat. I don't know if that's really... <laughs> you, know, you kind of milk that for ten minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> Gellman, I saw Gellman do something really weird a, a few weeks yeah? ago. That was pretty pretty interesting. I don't know how to describe it, so... Can I find it on? Is there a clip? It was. It was. Oh, it was on. Uh, uh, put your hands together. That, oh well, that then that's that's the, that's what I'm doing tonight. Actually. Oh, I'm are doing you really? Put your hands together uh, at the UCB tonight. That's a, that's I will a, be doing some standard in the box comedy, right? Right in the lines. <laughs> but see, I, I feel like when I started doing stand up, I wanted to be, and which you can't. I think you can't enter into stand up being like, I'm gonna be. Well, you can't look at a blank page and say what that blank page will ultimately have on it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, when you're starting comedy, everything's out ahead of you. You've never written any of these jokes. So you've got five minutes, and you're talking about what your act's going to be like. You're looking at a blank page and predicting what ultimately will be there. But you haven't written anything on that page yet. So how the fuck do you know what the act's going to look like? Like, you, you know how you get ideas. They come, and then you try to make it work, and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And of all the things you started with... Uh, you know, what really makes it to the finish line. So the supreme arrogance of a one-year comic going, I know what my act will be. You don't even know whether the shit you just wrote down is going to work. Like, I don't think anyone's more, more arrogant than like a year or two-year comic. Oh, I get, I, that's because I feel like when I left, or I got thrown out of Second City. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say first? I think I cut you off. You, you, you had a point to make. I don't fucking remember. Oh, oh, but like, I feel like a comic's, they, you try to go out like I, I think these guys who are trying to be alternative or whatever, but or I, I guess I'm speaking from my own experience. But it's like all I've ever wanted to do is be as freeformed as Richard Pryor, and I think. But early on, I was being like, I'm gonna do craziness, right? But it's like, well, I, I hate everything I did for the first ten years almost. Like if I look back at it oh, now, I, I feel like a not hate that's strong. Things were good for the time, but you know, I, I don't like a lot of my old material. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm embarrassed well, by a lot of it. O'Connell has some videotapes of me, like in Chicago, doing like stuff, and where it's like, it. I would rather have him have a videotape of me like blowing a goat than the, yeah. my comedy set. Oh God, I it's have brutal the way I yell at the beginning of my premium blend like some high energy fuck. Well, I'm like New York. I mean, it's just like what am I a rapper? It's ridiculous. <laughs> and I know why I did it. People bombed in front of me, so I try to bring this energy. But like, who cares? It looks it looks ridiculous now. Like, I mean, there's just there's jokes, just homophobic bullshit that I had in my act. Like just shit that I look at now. I'm like, 
well, whatever. I was a 29 year old idiot in Chicago, but like at the time, I thought I was really, you know, good. I wonder <laughs> if that's know? how the BC boys look back at License to Ill, where they're just oh, like, oh. <laughs> I just, to show how dumb I am, I just caught the cocaine reference in Brass Monkey yesterday. <laughs> Like I was googling the lyrics, and I was like, "D with the, uh, what is like D with the bottle, oh, no, MCA with the bottle, D rocks a can, add rockets, nice with Charlie Chan." I'm like, "Oh, it's cocaine!" But it took me actually seeing Charlie Chan written out and going, "Oh, Charlie, cocaine, okay, oh, and like you know." For, and I've been singing that song for fucking 25 years. I never, I see, I'm behind you, and I'm older. <laughs> At this point in the podcast, I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> I used to like. I felt like it's funny because I, you know, I guess when we were doing stand up back in that time, I felt kind of like a fraud. I felt like a fraud too. That's funny because I, I would come and do Bible school and be like, "You, you zany's hack, what are you fucking doing on this this show with O'Connell doing Moon Boots and Asian Baby?" Because O'Connell was like. His name's Michael Connell. For all you listeners, you can find him. Some of his stuff's on the internet. But he's the kind of guy that I thought, okay, that's genuinely alternative. Like, O'Connell's, you know, book reports, his weird book reports about books that didn't exist, and he would deliver them in this strange, like, pseudo-English. He'd, you know, I I, uh, I am a Standish by Karen Standish. <laughs> like, that was one of his book reports, and the whole thing was, like, about a book proving she was related to Miles Standish. <laughs> And, like, his punchline was like, this book is excellent if you care whether or not Karen was a Standish. <laughs> and I was like, ah, what am I doing with my stupid fucking uh, Taco Bell bits, like, following this guy, you know? His writing is, his writing is, it's just, I, I even his emails, I'm like, really? You just wrote me this, like, <laughs> incredibly eloquent email about maybe getting a beer on Tuesday? <laughs> Did you get a beer on Tuesday? Uh, we got it on Wednesday. Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> It just wasn't but wasn't the, convincing enough. No, <laughs> but I think that's funny because I always got nervous when you were when if you were ever in a cr- room when I was doing stand up, I got nervous because I was like, that guy is like the stand up, <laughs> and I'm the guy meandering about. Well, when did you? What did you do? Well, you did it once a, once a week. Did you do it again? Aside from, I mean, I saw you on different oh, well, shows, but Bi- when you had Bible school, I didn't see you out in the city. Much do, the rest uh, of the nights. I do Red Lion and uh Okay. When did, when was all this, by the way? Like beer has destroyed so many of these memories. When did Bible school run? This was Matt's show that he ran in Chicago <laughs> at the Second City. 90s, I know we're talking like everyone hung out with us in the nineties. Seven, ninety eight. Or, or like maybe ninety I think it started I think around ninety eight. I think though, it right? started ninety eight and then uh it went for a year. And, or maybe it went for maybe I feel like years. Red Lion was just like what 2000 and 2001 I don't I think that was the same time because okay. I would go to the Red Lion because that to me was like bowling that was night. the first that's when like Canaan was first that was starting. the first thing that regular people came to every week the Red Lion yeah where you, you weren't just doing open mic for Henry Scott and Adam Crocius and then you'd switch you know like there was like actual human <laughs> beings that came to see comedy that we didn't know <laughs> like in the crowd yeah I would go to the Lions Den too like but those that's a weird thing is like I remember there was like people who'd go to those open mics like audience members I've never seen that since well you won't hear because an audience member can see Mark Marin for free like why would anyone in LA go to a show that wasn't awesome yeah you know what I mean like they have so many options to see amazing comics for under ten dollars that what would they go to an open mic for <laughs> like what would be the point yeah 
I, I, do you still do like I know Patton I do will still open mics every now and then I will do the the meltdown open mic at meltdown because it's around the corner from my house and they put me up so I don't have to worry about the lottery there's yes if you do comedy for 16 years you can go up a little on an open <laughs> mic <laughs> um, so I'll do that one and every now and then I'll do like uh, there's an I there was one more I did uh, Silver Lake Lounge I'll do every now and then if oh, I have no right? excuse. Well, it's I wouldn't say that it's all right, but if I have nothing else to do and I have new jokes, I don't really have an excuse not to go. But I do them less and less. I I find it's just kind of not worth the time investment. But I you got to do your material somewhere. And I mean, I'm on the road a lot, so I can dump it in there. But there's some bits that are just kind of city-only bits just because of references or whatever. And you're like, I'm not really going to try this bit about the Decemberists in, you know, Toledo at the Comedy Connection with an X. It's weird. I had a bit that I – it's weird how, like, shit will only work in L.A. Like, I had a bit, and it would destroy you. Was it your uh, your Hollywood and Highland bit? <laughs> So you, with that bit about the, the right. Hollywood Forever Cemetery free movie night that didn't work when you were in Chicago? It was actually, it was a really obscure, like, just sort of, uh, I, I don't know, just a bizarre bit. And it What was, was the bit? Okay, oh, the, bit. The, my weird Sinatra bit. The Frank Sinatra, well, I have two, I have Frank, a Frank Sinatra bit and I have a Frank Sinatra Jr. bit. Fuck, why aren't the people getting into my Frank Sinatra Jr. material? Well, it would, it's just all about how Frank Sinatra Jr., because he just does his dad's act. And it would Is just that be, the truth? I don't even know oh, anything yeah, about him. No, he, he has a full orchestra and he tours, but he just does, and he's like a pudgy, like... Why or, do people carry that over because he's his son? Why do they do that? Like, what about, the fact that he's his son doesn't mean he should get at the songs. Like, I don't, like... <laughs> no. Like that fucking guy, Van Zant, who was never in Leonard Skinner, but he's the brother. They didn't even put him in the band when they could have. Now he leads the band because they're all dead. But it's like, your brother didn't like you in the band. You could have, you never were in the band, but you're the same last name, so now you get to sing Freebird like you wrote it. He gets, and he probably gets a lot of poontang. I bet he calls it that, too. <laughs> get, get any poontang last night, Ronnie? Oh, you know I did. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm always like weird when people go see shit like that because I'm like, you're not even like. There's like, what is it? I think there's like a version of the Mills Brothers and the. There's a version of everything. Get you know, coasters. That's gonna, it's got to continue. But right? it's like it's not. It's just there's a bunch probably, of it's a bunch of black dudes pretending to be the coasters. Dude, there's something even more. Weird. There's a show in Vegas right now that's called the Motown Experience. All four of them are white guys. And a huge really? billboard, yeah. And Smokey Robinson produces it, and there's a photo of him on the internet with the four dudes, and it's like, oh, I guess Smokey thought the only thing wrong with soul music is that too many black people were singing it. <laughs> like, I mean, like I've never seen, and they're not even like white dudes in like tuxes or shit. They're like dressed like cheesy Vegas white dude. Like, there's nothing Motown about the poster at all. And I'm sure that thing is sold out as we speak. I bet there are people lining up to go to the white Motown experience. Vegas is the most perplexed. I worked Vegas for it's three worst. months. I'm there all the time, and I fucking hate it. It doing I stand just up hate there it. is everybody. I've never done. Sta I did Second City there, and it was awful because it was like one audience would be ninety, like literally just yeah. ninety. Yeah. Then the next would we'll be call about that audience Monday through Thursday, <laughs> and then the second show would be some mix of weird ages. All and no it was just like you couldn't gauge what would work because now. It with stand-up, it's a little easier to do. I kind of know what down-the-middle bowling ball I got to throw. And look, I don't do anything. I've finally gotten to the point now where I'm not pandering anymore. 
on the road like I used to. Uh, I, I, I had a real crisis of faith about my act after I had Kyle Kinane middle for me in 2010, and he'd already dumped all of fucking Death of the Party, and he was writing his new half hour, and I was still relying on old bits from like eight years ago in the act, and I was doing some real bullshit, and I was like, you know, man, you gotta dump a lot of this shit, and you gotta, and I know there are things that only work in the city and aren't gonna work on the road, but I don't wanna be doing anything on the road that I'd be embarrassed to do in the city. And that's kind of where I was at. And so I dumped all that material. So I'm not embarrassed by what I do in Vegas. It's still, it's still my act. It's still stuff I would do on, on Conan or, or here at, at uh, UCB or whatever. But I know what they're not going to go for. You know what I mean? Like there's just, you, you know, there's a, there's a mentality of people who went to go see a stand-up show in Vegas. And I don't think you're really going to get them with your uh you know your global warming bit you know what i mean like it just uh well casinos in general i did some casinos in florida and it was oh, casinos are the worst oh it was the worst i saw people stumbling drunk out of the parking lot <laughs> to go in yeah, yeah it was like it was just like oh it was like and i was lucky because if you're the feature they're not quite drunk enough to be assholes. right you get in and out before the real rain starts yeah headliners <laughs> it's always like have fun. <laughs> well, and you watch the guys, and I don't want to mention any names, but you watch the guys that really thrive under those conditions. You know, the people for whom that is a yellow sun and not a red sun, to use a, <laughs> a Superman analogy. Uh, their acts are, you know, the people who get standing ovations in Vegas. It's it's brutal. It's just all. Just Can you give me a ballpark idea. Okay, here's a, there's a real act, of, and I'm going to tell oh, you. I just want to know what they're I'm gonna doing. I'm going to say that. I mean, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what they're doing. I'm not going to tell you why or who they are. But picture a guy whose closer is various karaoke songs to uh, different outfits, like he does Run DMC, talking about hemorrhoids. Then he immediate, quick quick uh, costume change to the Tina Turner, and he's doing, you know, and then, and then Madonna Conebra. Then Mick Jagger with a wig on and lips in and a magnifying glass out to the lips so the audience sees him bigger and then that's a laugh. I can't and believe Bill Burr in is a prince, in a <laughs> What was Burr? Hey, look, man, you gotta fucking uh, you gotta entertain him. <laughs> Good for it's Burr. It's Burbiglia, actually, is who I'm talking about. Mike Burbiglia now wears wigs and dances like Prince. Oh, and then he shows him his butt. I don't think it's his real butt, but in the Prince. And also, all of these costumes are one on top of each other like a Russian doll. So when he's doing the first. 35 minutes of the act in the suit he's doing it with a f five fucking costume changes underneath it and dude they could they want to make him the mayor when he's done and it's like you know that's there and you know whatever man entertainment's entertainment but that's not why i got into stand-up you know what i mean like I, you know, do whatever you want make the people laugh if you didn't steal anybody's jokes you know what am i when you're not killing anybody but it's just not anything that I would would have ever feel good about myself if that's where but my there act is was. That, like there is that there's a the dudes who do and I solely mean guys <laughs> yeah there are no women doing cheesy hat comedy but I mean like there's the people who do stand up who want to fucking do yes something and then there's a guy that mentality of like fucking whatever it is to get a laugh and it's right like, so and it's like because that's a slippery slope, I think. Whatever to get a laugh, where does that, how does that lead to, you know, well, it's kind of hack, but I'll do, well, it might be somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like that whatever to get a laugh is the beginning of the real evil stuff. 
You know, like you, you have to think that in order to get to the Mencia level of like the just pure thievery. Like, because your first notion has to be like, well, they're laughing. You're like, how do you, you know, what is the the first lie that you tell yourself to end up being comedy made off? Like, you know, it's got to be, well, they're laughing. I'm making them happy. You know, like what are the little yeah. the little emotional cupcakes you're feeding yourself <laughs> to like allow yourself to start down that road you know yeah that kind of person is kind of void of ethics <laughs> yeah like, but i mean you, it's like there's got to be some justification i don't think they walk around going that's right i'm a thieving dick well, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I mean, neither does you know uh carl rover all, all right. those people live life going like yeah, yeah i'm doing yeah, the right you know thing what? i made another group of people happy that's got to trump the fact that i did a gaffigan bit <laughs> you know what i mean like what like how do they i don't know i don't know yeah, Vegas, Vegas is the worst. But yeah, in Ve- but I ugh. the other thing I guess that enables people to just steal and be hacky is that nobody knows anything about comedy. The average person doesn't have nine Carlin albums. You know what I mean? Like if your band played a Zeppelin song, you'd have ninety mullet heads waiting to kick the fuck out of you because they know. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's Led Zeppelin, you fucker. But like nobody would do that because they don't even know that that was a Cosby bit. You know, like they just don't know anything about it. How are they going to call you on it? Yeah, April Richardson found some guy. Stealing her tweets and retweet, like p- p- presenting them as his tweets. It's like it's amazing. I also love the the little reward there is for that. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you steal a bunch of jokes and you end up being as big as Mencia. As much as it's still you're still an immoral scumbag, and there's no justification for what you did. The practical side of you can go, I'm rich, though. You know, the same way that, you know, we a guy who broke into a casino knows it's wrong. But he can be like, well, but look at the money. What do you get from retweeting somebody? <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you get you have for, five, your, you for, have- your, for your, your lowering your moral standards? What did you win? Uh, yeah. You, your 10 friends who follow you. Fuck Yeah. <laughs> Somebody told me that, and I hear Andrew Dice Clay is really good in a new Woody Allen movie. True, Louis C.K., but I heard somebody approached him at Zany's in Chicago yeah. for stealing jokes, and he's like, hey, I'm trying to make it here, was his sole response. <laughs> that was Andrew Dice Clay's sole response to, yeah, he's like, to stealing, and listen, not, not just stealing jokes, but that Hickory Dick, that's off a parliament record. When he goes, is little Miss, really? yeah, Bootsy goes... Little Miss Muffet sat on a tub of, hey, what's uh, Long Came a Spider said, hey, what's in the bowl, bitch? Bootsy Collins says that on, I think, I don't want to say Mothership Connection, but it's one of their famous <laughs> songs. Like, somebody listening to your podcast will know. But I, I have the thing in my iPod. Like, it's a Bootsy. And all those things are, like, things black kids said on the schoolyard. Like, those aren't, he didn't make any of that shit up. I'm sure some of the jokes he wrote, but, like, all the nursery rhymes were actual dirty nursery rhymes that some kid thought up in 1970, you know? God, that's amazing. That guy made a... Talk to an old black man who was around when Dice Man. He's like, shit, that ain't... You know what I mean? Like, they... (laughs) I'm not... Not all old black men talk like the fat guy on the wire, but... Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know why I did that guy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they they are, they would always be like, no, dude, that's we had that shit in the schoolyard. But he's trying to make it. <laughs> he's trying to make it. 
I always feel that Dice Man, really, the reason for his success is that there's always a white version of whatever black guy makes it, right? So there's Eminem for, you know, gangster rap, and there's Elvis for rock and roll, and People want people love Eddie Murphy and they wanted a dirty talking comedian in a leather suit, but they were fully racist, so they, they liked Eddie Murphy, but they couldn't fully love Eddie Murphy. So they needed an an Eminem of Eddie Murphy. Like I think that's what Dice Man was. He was just the white version of Eddie Murphy. And and the white version of something big always also gets big. <laughs> like that's been that way since at least jazz. I'm, I'm trying to think who I could be the white version of. Oh, like what black guy is like a <laughs> kind of dark, who is uh, bitter, not bitter. I mean, where is your – your comedy always comes from kind of a dark place. Like my favorite Matt Dwyer joke still is uh, you go to the fortune teller and the fortune teller goes – you go, tell uh, how will I be spending my evening? And the fortune teller goes, uh, you'll be spending your evening crying and masturbating. And you go, well, tell me something I don't know. And she goes, you'll be doing it at gunpoint, <laughs> which to me is like the perfect Dwyer joke. <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 lean. It it gets you there quick, and where it gets you is a dark, <laughs> dark place. <laughs> you know, but it's funny. And you know what? There's a lot of money in that dark humor. <laughs> Take a look around. Take a look at what that humor has wrought. You don't get a Tom Waits poster like that just anywhere. Hey, that's a frame. <laughs> that's how you know I'm in my 40s. I frame my posters now. Yeah, you know what, what do you think? I'm just going to tack them up there like some fucking college kid? Yeah. <laughs> no, this, I get the cheapest tin This frame. Pulp Fiction black and white poster <laughs> is framed. Yeah, and those and these framed record albums, there's actually records in them. Oh yeah, is yeah. there a player anywhere? Oh yeah, there yeah, you go. No, I gotta. Come on, I'm a. Come on, what? I'm, I'm, I'm 45 <laughs> here. I don't got a record player. Hey, now you just made me older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who controls my age. <laughs> uh, it's turn the age knob. Ooh, uh, turn that down a little bit. Ooh, oh, they want distinguished. Let's turn that up a little bit. <laughs> mm. Do you, uh, yes. I, oh, nothing. I, uh, what? Oh. Hmm? Do you, do you still feel like that at this point? Because you've been doing it for a long time. Yes. You have abundance amount of success as a stand-up. Uh, yeah, I you've mean. You've done Leno. You've I've done, done Leno. Conan, I've done Conan. Conan. Uh, maybe doing another Conan. Oh, really? Later on in the year. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, I still got to worry about what the fuck I'm doing in September. You know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, until you're like a superstar, like, you're still sweating it a little bit. You know, like, there's no... There's no level of comedy where you get, like, the pension plan and you lock it all in and now you just kind of ride the wave as an IBM guy. <laughs> you know, like, it's, yeah. uh, you still got, uh, you still got, but what was your question? Oh, just, like, it's, uh, like, are there still, like, something that you're striving for? Yeah, for within, like, um, yeah, I mean, all, for me, it's always, it's always two things, like, the things that I've always wanted to do, and I don't know if I'll ever get them done, but I want an album, and I've got an album coming out August 6th, it's called uh, Alexander Hamilton, and it comes out on <laughs> AST Records, and it's an hour long, and uh, most of it, there's some of the stuff from Conan, but the rest of it's pretty much unreleased shit that, unless you've been watching me live for the last two years, you've never seen, so uh, that comes out on the 6th, I'm happy about it, but I don't know, is that I want to make a great comedy album. That's what I want to. I want to make something that's as good as what I loved growing up. So I want to do that, and I want to play theaters full of people that want to see me. Like it doesn't have to be Madison Square Garden, but like a you know four hundred, five hundred seater. And so I'm always going for that. Like I want my own fans. Kyle Kinane said something that I, I really appreciate. He was like, "I don't want to be the house band at a comedy place because you know it's like most of the people that come to see me." 
are coming to see comedy, and I happen to be the thing of that that night. And I want to change that to where most of the people come to see John Roy because they know what he does and they want to see that. So I think there's always that out ahead of me that I'm trying to go. And until I look out at a theater full of people that want to see me or until, you know, everyone in the world says my last album was, you know, top 10 of the year or whatever. Like, I don't I don't know if I'll really fully believe that I that I did anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do you I mean, it's like I did you see that? prior documentary on Showtime? I have not. I, I don't have Showtime. It's uh, it's so weird because he never thought he did a good set. Ever. Like, ever. It was always like, I'll get him next time. Which to me is like, he's the... I mean, do you think he's the best? Um, I don't know if there's a best. Uh, I think it's that... It's him and Buddy Hackett, in my opinion. Buddy Hackett <laughs> and I think maybe Jimmy and Joey and then probably... No, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, there's... Hurricane. A, I'm a big Hurricane yeah, uh, fan. Hamburger. Uh, I think we could all agree. Dirty South. Uh, um, now, I feel like Pryor is as... I mean, I don't know. Like, there's probably... he He's certainly an... Like, if there's a Hall of Fame, he goes in it because he changes what it is completely. Although Dwayne Kennedy, another excellent comic to that we me, both know, yeah. had a great insight into Pryor. He said he felt that Pryor brought Jewish comedy to black comedy. And what he meant by that was that previous black comedic stars had always been the cool guy as their persona, the Superman. Like Red Fox and Flip Wilson and you know Bill Cosby, they were the coolest guy in the room. And Richard Pryor was the first one to bring I'm the schmuck, I'm the schlub, the kind of angle of Jewish comedy of, like, you know, Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, you know, my dad never loved me. I said, Dad, you never took me to the zoo. He goes, when they want you, they'll come and get you. <laughs> like, this, that whole idea of I suck. So when Pryor's up there going, Muhammad Ali would kick the fuck out of me, or my girlfriend left me and I cried like a bitch, like, that angle was not at all standard for black comedy at the time. So I thought that was really a, a brilliant insight. I never that, really thought I'd about that I never thought before. of that either, and it is. It's prior. But, like, Pryor was always like, oh, Jack, uh, Muhammad Ali would beat the shit out of me, Jack. You know, like, you know, he never was, like, he was never too cool for the world, which when everyone says Eddie Murphy, you know, ripped off Pryor, I'm like, well, he didn't take the main thing, <laughs> you know, which was being vulnerable up there because Eddie Murphy comes out, you know, everybody throw me the pussy. You know, like that's the first five minutes are about pussy being thrown at him. <laughs> like, and he's in a purple yeah. suit and a fucking, you know, open to his dick. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, uh, it's the exact opposite of Richard Pryor. Yeah, that's true. All good up. And it's, it but yeah, I, okay, yeah. So Richard Pryor is one of the sort of John Lennon's of like, if you have to take everything as like a Ooh. music analogy. Carlin too. I think. Who's your god or guy? Guy, I. Who do I think is the funniest? And this is all subjective. I mean, right. Like, I love Greg Giraldo. Midlife vices just destroys me. I like Giraldo. I like Patton Oswalt. I like Louis C.K. I like Marin. I like Chappelle. I like Chris Rock. I mean, it's a pretty what standard you, list, those, right? Bill yeah, Burr. But what is it about those guys that appeal? Like to me, there's they're like just fucking good. Well, they're also personal. Yeah. I like a personal act. Like I, I appreciate like people that do one-liners and absurdism and and where you know an opacity of you know where you can't really get at them and there there's like a there like I like Dan Mintz. He makes me laugh. He's got some great jokes. But Dan Mintz and people like him will never be my favorites because my personal taste doesn't mean they're not as good or just that, like it's just my personal taste is 
I like a comedian that at least is fooling me that I think I've learned something about them. You know, like Maria Bamford, like whether it's all true or not, you certainly get the idea that you're learning about this person and you're connecting with this person uh, and you're figuring out what they're about. And I like that element of comedy. So I think if you looked at all the people that I mentioned, that's always there. Like there's something maybe less with Chris Rock. He doesn't. But he tells you his opinions. He may not tell you, you know, what his house looks like in every joke. But um, <laughs> but I don't know. I like I like a comedian that 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 I feel like. After an hour of listening to me, like I got a good idea what they're about. Like what, like that feel like I've gotten some kind of I don't know. Yeah, I I like. What, who do you like? I mean, I, I know I just gave you a list. If you said, "Oh, you like rap? Who do you like?" And I was like, Jay Z and the Beastie Boys <laughs> and uh, Public Enemy and Ice Cube. You know, like <laughs> I really like. I mean, uh, Woody Allen is to me like Woody Allen stand up comics one of the best records of all time of stand up. Yeah, Woody and like not. Not a stand-up, but a Groucho Marx is just like a... But that's not a stand-up. Like, you're I already know. off the reservation. <laughs> I always hate like when you go to these comedy clubs and they got these posters on the wall of the comedians that you're supposed to... And it's like the Three Stooges. Like, none of them are stand-ups. There's like Farley. You know, yeah. You're like, why? Are, you know, like, do you even know what's supposed to go on on that stage? But, I mean, like, prior... Steve Martin was huge for me as a kid. Yeah. Like, but uh, I, I'm drawn, like... Uh, and you, like Louis C.K. and Bill Burr, I can't listen to Bill Burr though, because then if I try to write jokes, I you, I you get write that, like Bill. It, I get his voice in my head, like him and Hedberg, like a high pitched Boston yelly guy, like starts yeah. coming out of start, your pen. I start referencing uh, Whitey Bulger for no reason. <laughs> it's crazy. That's a horrible Bill Burr. My, you know, Bill Burr is like an awesome drummer. Really, I played a couple times in a pickup band with Chris Porter, and two practices Bill Burr sat in on drums. Unbelievably good, like like annoyingly good. Like I was like, you could be a drummer, drummer, like not just a guy in a band with his friends. Like you could play drums. It's weird how many musicians or comedians play something. Well, I mean, look, I think part of the impetus to do this is just to be on stage. So when you're 14 and you look around the options of being on stage, there's something in your head that says you, Prince is probably getting more pussy than fucking David Brenner. You know what I mean? Like, you could see why maybe you gave a shot at, at music before, you know, like you went to the comedy thing, you know? <laughs> Most of my listeners are going to have to Google David Brenner because he's a, he's, at this point, he's so vague. Well, that was, yeah, that was the idea. Like, just a guy that's probably not fucking and he's old and why would you want to be him? <laughs> like, he did a special on HBO years ago and it was like, they were like, it was rough stuff. I oh, remember watching. But they that thing. built it up like, oh, he's coming back, and it was like it's. And it you know, there's like, guys that are legends that I just don't, I don't get it, and I know I'm wrong. But I mean, shoot me if you must. But I don't get Richard Lewis. I've watched it. I've watched it trying to get it. I love him on TV shows. He's great on Curb. But when I watch the stand-up that I'm supposed to instantly recognize as the dark side of the moon of stand-up, I'm not getting it. Someone enlighten me what I'm supposed to be getting. Somebody told me Paul. Reiser used to like was pissed at him because he thought he stole his act, which I don't see that. I mean, I've like, seen Reiser no, I, go up and I've seen Lewis go up. I don't know. I mean, like, they're both to, like, Jewish him. guys of the same age. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, neurotic Jewish guys from New York. Right. It's like you really think like, and I was like, you both copped Woody Allen anyway. So it's like, I mean, not copped, but it's like you're both. Well, right. I mean, there's really okay. You could easily see Woody Allen going. It was the Thanksgiving from hell. You know, like you know, like there's no, there's not. It's not a stretch. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? I was just like, yeah, you both need to shut up about this weird. I just never knew. 
there was a few. I, I was funny that Richard Lewis would, is very vindictive about people that say from hell because he's so like, okay, well, what about Jack the Ripper? Do you got to pay him fucking money? <laughs> like, you're the only guy ever said from hell? Like, what are you talking about? It was on the end of every Jack the Ripper letter. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, that's why the graphic novel in the movie is called From Hell. I, didn't, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I didn't see like, the <laughs> Okay, I guess you're mad, but like, it's not like you thought those two words up and stuck them together first. See, I'm going to start trolling serial killer letters and looking for What the for fuck, next- man? You're just doing Ripper, man. You're <laughs> fucking, uh, you're doing Jack up there, man. Dude, well, I want to find John Wayne Gacy's catchphrase, and that's my <laughs> new, that's my new, uh, that's my new angle. Uh, we're, we're, I, we're, we hit our time slot. We're, we're at 50? Done. We're in an hour? Yeah. That was an hour. That was an hour. Holy shit. All right. I'm glad it felt good. <laughs> yeah, that felt I, that felt like 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's the I, first time I've... Is there I, anything else you wanted to ask me that I didn't get to, or is there anything you wanted to like try to get out of this podcast that I thwarted with my idiocy? No, I don't think you thwarted it. Okay. With the, I thought you uh, thwarted it with... Uh, Can I plug a bunch of shit? Yeah, no, that's what we were getting to. Okay. I, but there is one thing, because you do teach impro- or, uh, stand-up classes... I do not. I have a stand-up class that I wrote that people can get on Tumblr. Oh, really? And I don't teach classes. I I, I did this to fight them. Like I did, I I wrote a twelve-week stand-up class with videos and study questions. It's probably a hundred pages long. It's on. Oh, thank you. It's on Tumblr. Anyone who wants to read it can read it for free. Uh, basically, I use open mics as the um, as your classroom. So you're supposed to go up three times a week. Uh, to follow along with the class. It's almost like when you first get into AA, you got to go to... <laughs> oh, yeah? It didn't work. So I basically, I got so angry at these people teaching classes and taking money because I no one ever charged me to give me advice. I got great advice from Jeff Garland, from Jimmy Pardo, from all these great comics, and they never charged a dime for it. I think stand-up, what's so great about it, it isn't like improv. You don't have to pay somebody $2,000 to try it. It's, there's no financial barrier to doing it. And a lot of these people teaching classes, I mean, I can't say from experience, but... I don't know what they're teaching that's worth 400 bucks just looking at their resume. I'm like, but you don't really know how to do stand-up on any high level, or else why are you... You know what I mean? There's a certain female who is a bit portly, not saying names, but she teaches stand-up, and I've seen her... Her Her act. Well, I've seen her act, and I've seen the comedians that she's taught, and that's why it's like... Is it a full nightmare? It's it's very... It's that very 80s concept of like I'm gonna open up with a joke about myself like I'm part Italian I'm part oh, Indian well see that's but what it's I, like it becomes right like every but every comedian is like doing this weird racist well, the one thing about that about my class is I never tell you what to write I never tell you how to write I tell you process stuff and I tell you uh, you know just principles of brevity and, and surprise and expectation and like stuff in form and process, but I don't tell you what fucking content to write because you know you read Judy Carter she's like don't be personal I'm like really don't be that. So when Bill Cosby should just go, you know, family's right, instead of talking about his own. Like, what the fuck? You would eliminate all of good stand-up if they fucking followed your... Like, so George Carlin shouldn't talk about his fucking grade school, you fucking idiot? <laughs> you know, like... So I was very determined to right all the wrongs that I saw in stand-up instruction. But what really, what, what fucking pushed it through, and then I know we gotta go, because you, you... No, no, we can go, under. we can go. So I was driving down Santa Monica Boulevard, and I saw this massive billboard for this woman's stand-up class. I know her. She's not particularly funny, and she doesn't. She has not risen very far in the industry. Is her initials B.O.? Uh, they're, no, they're not. They're, so there's more of it out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, a, there's too much of yeah, it. Yeah, and so I was like, I would love if I could somehow 
give people an online free alternative that could teach people at least as good as these people can that they wouldn't have to pay a dime for. And I also start now, go to your open mic. Don't live in this bubble for four weeks and that you're going to still have to do all the open mics. So why shouldn't you just start going to the open mics? So I wanted to teach my class concurrently to that, but you, but in, I'm sorry I said no, I don't, but I just mean that they don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to pay me. They don't have to listen to me talk. I already wrote it, and it's out there on the Internet. And if you want to take the class, just go to my Tumblr and start week one and go and uh, and see what you think. You know, it's free, and if it didn't work, then you still didn't spend any money, and uh, you're free to go take whatever class that you would like, you know. But that's it's on my Tumblr. It's called John Roy Comic or at John Roy Comic on Tumblr. It's called the entirely free stand-up class, and just go on the first week and and answer the questions and go. Yeah, because I I mean, when because I saw the post about you teaching stand-up on Bridenstine's yeah post, and I was like, oh yeah, there's a guy who should teach stand-up. Like that's what. Cause well, thank you. I mean, I, I didn't. That I was. I don't think most people should. That was my my first worry was that people would listen to what I said and go, oh really? That's how you do comedy? You fucking what the shut the fuck up? <laughs> like I just thought other comics would be like. Either think that I was full of shit with what I was teaching, or would just be like, "Who the hell are you?" But the, I mean, I, I, so far people have liked it. I've gotten some really good compliments yeah. from comics that I respect, so I've been happy about that. But yeah, that's one of the things I would love people to know about. Uh, my Twitter is John Roy Comic, also, uh, and then I've got an album called uh, Alexander Hamilton that comes out uh, on August 6th. They'll be able to download that from thing.com. And I have a podcast coming out right on this very network uh, called Don't Ever Change. Uh, it is about high school. We just talk about where the guests went to high school for an hour. And uh, so far we've recorded Sean Patton, Jonah Ray, Matt Myra, Mick Betancourt, and Chris Fairbanks. And we've got interviews with Howard Kramer, Jordan Morris, and Jay Larson already scheduled. So uh, it launches in about a week and a half. Uh, so look for that on the Feral Audio Network. Thank you, John Roy. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Uh, please tell your friends about it and uh, explore the Feral Audio page and find some of the other shows on there. There's a lot of really amazing, amazing shows, so you should listen to it. You really should. Uh, listen to all the podcasts you can. And uh, thank you very much for listening.
the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.